Welcome to the ESG Beat, Stavros. Thank you, Amelia. I'm glad to be here. So I'm very excited to share and uh, shamelessly promote our most recent paper, <laughs> Corporate Law and Social Risk. So let's start with the question the paper is addressing, which relates to corporate purpose, of course. And as we all know, the debate about corporate purpose is uh, very much in the spotlight today. So how does this paper, Corporate Law and Social Risk, fit within that discussion and debate about corporate purpose? So uh, many people are questioning whether corporations should be run for the benefits of shareholders exclusively or whether they should be taking into account a broader set of considerations. And while many would um, agree that a broader set of considerations might be preferable, that's where problems begin because people are trying to think, well, what would these considerations be? Maybe the environment, maybe employee issues, maybe technology, but then from then on, the list goes on and on. Some people are thinking about issues like um, uh, food or um, kind of a kids issues and there are all sorts of new issues coming up and this vagueness mm -hmm. in the set of issues that ESG addresses is very much treated by its, by its critics as a disadvantage. Um, what we are arguing in this, uh, in this research is that this focus on topics is actually misleading. Rather, uh, we should look at what these, what looking into these topics has in common, kind of look for uh, the forest rather than the trees. And what we see is that ESG, when considering these issues, has a very common process, regardless of the specific subject matter that it's targeting. And that process consists in um, accessing stakeholders, reaching out to stakeholders, trying to receive feedback from these stakeholders, formulate a workable um, practice or set of practices for the company uh, that the company can commit to and achieve, and then move from there and see if there is uh, if there are improvements that can be made and start this cycle again. So regardless of whether you're talking about um, climate change or uh, gender in the workspace, this is the approach you are going to follow. And that's what I think is very, is the uh, distinguishing factor of ESG as a corporate function. So as you've said, in fact, the broad ambit of ESG is actually a strength because it allows corporate decision makers uh, to have more information, essentially. There's another corporate function that is supposed to operate in a similar way, and that's compliance. And that's something that you've written extensively about. Um, so why can't we rely on compliance for flagging and mitigating risks? Why is it ESG function better? First of all, let me say that I actually do believe that compliance has a lot to contribute um, because it systematizes um, research into the company into how employees are behaving and it's trying to create um, kind of a culture about how employees should comply with the law and legal requirements. That, however, uh, which is compliance chief goal is also uh, its key 
not weakness, but at least distinctive feature compared to ESG. Compliance starts and ends with legal obligations. Mm -hmm. It's a top-down process uh, where corporate hierarchy is trying to make sure that its employees don't break the law. That is not a very endearing mission. Employees have a lot of information about what might go wrong in the firm. Some of it is not about legal violations. It's about problems. Uh, Some of it might turn into legal violations. Some of it might not turn into legal violations. Um, You don't go to your supervisor to report a potential problem or uh, blame or uh, a, a colleague of yours without fearing about consequences. Apply, a compliance is designed to fit within the paradigm of a legal investigation, mm-hmm. which is important when we have uh, legal values to ensure. Uh, um, on the other hand, ESG is more about substantive concerns, uh, and it's more about um, impact that lawful company uh, practices might have on uh, various aspects of the business or on other stakeholders. And that impact is very hard to trace through compliance. So that's why uh, ESG essentially complements compliance, even when um, ESG and compliance have overlapping values, for example, gender diversity, compliance might be more about um, issues like sexual harassment or not abusing um, uh, women in the workplace, whereas ESG is more about promoting and making uh, women feel, uh, um, reach their potential within the workplace without uh, being concerned about any aspect of bias or discrimination. Okay, so that's, that's very helpful, um, but what if I'm a skeptic and I say, okay, Professor Godinas, you have said that this is how the ESG um, you know, function operates to mitigate uh, social risk, risk that might end up being legal risk, but um, may not. Uh, I still don't understand exactly how that works in practice. Can you shed some light by sharing examples? So um, let me give you um, kind of certain examples about uh, issues that were, there were no legal violations at first, but ended up uh, becoming legal violations uh, maybe later on. Uh, Let's say, for example, that you are, um, you're a company that is dealing with some chemicals and you're really concerned and some of your employees are really concerned about the impact of these chemicals on the environment. But what you are complying with the law in the sense that you're not using substances that are illegal, Mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, uh, you see some implications uh, in the environment surrounding you that might point to pollution or you might be even concerned that some protocols that the EPA has in place are not really enough, are not really sufficient. So you might take the decision to um, move into a safer set of chemicals or substances before the law comes to require that move. And many companies uh, did that move um, years before, you know, in, in the Environmental Protection Agency or other regulators 
caught up to speed uh, with um, kind of the effects of pollution. That's because companies have better information. Now you might wonder, well, but if they were not violating the law, what was the problem? Well, what company wants to have a huge pollution scandal uh, on their face and what kind and if you have a huge pollution scandal what kind of an argument is that that says well but the substance we were using was actually legal so we are entitled to pollute it's not a very good answer to you know to the communities that affect that affect you and i, I don't think uh, it's going to be a very good answer to regulators too uh, when they will try to assess fines for the damage that has been caused. So I wanted to drill down a bit deeper into ESG's superpower. Why does ESG enable companies to mitigate risk? So remember how we're talking about compliance as a top-down process. Mm -hmm. uh, if, um, if somebody invites you to an investigator's office, you'll think twice about what you'll say. Maybe there'll be some things you might fudge because you're concerned that it uh, might come back to you and bite you. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you're even uh, too deep into some violation and you'll, you'll, you won't be forthcoming. Uh, ESG, on the other hand, is not interested in assigning blame and liability it's not so much interested in what happened in the past. It's interested at building, in building a future that's better. So it's forward-looking. It focuses on proposals on how to work better together. Uh, and it brings people with diverse interests around the same table. These um, stakeholders to which uh, e, uh, ESG reaches are traditional corporate adversaries, NGOs like uh, Greenpeace, governments, uh, local authorities. These are people that typically hold companies accountable. They're the watchdogs that conventional mindset tells us to avoid rather than seek out. Um, nevertheless, what ESG does is bringing these people into the table and creating a dialogue. And once the company shows that it's responsive to their ideas and their feedback, then it also builds trust between the two former adversaries who are now more likely to work together towards common solutions. And this process of building trust for multiple iterations of this dialogue is very important because this is essentially what makes the company more resilient towards a future problem because now the government, the regulator, the NGO knows who they are dealing with and are more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, are more willing to trust them, are more willing to negotiate with them when a future crisis happens. Thank you for that uh, focus on the concept of trust and resilience. And we're seeing uh, that playing out in the COVID-19 crisis with some industry reports and data showing that exactly as you say, um, companies that have built trust with their stakeholders uh, are faring better during this crisis. In, uh, in our research, some um, uh, 
companies made exactly that point. So uh, we uh, were talking with companies that had some casual relationships with governments where they were helping um, with some programs for children here and there, or they were um, interested in, in building digital solutions. Uh, and when COVID happened, these contacts uh, that had established some sort of trust between uh, the government and those companies were very important because once uh, governments wanted to provide uh, Zoom meetings to everyone uh, with a flip of a switch or create some app for tracing um, exposure to COVID, they turned to the people they knew. Mm -hmm. to the companies they knew, to the companies they had worked with, to the companies that they trusted wouldn't abuse state power or would respect state power and would work well with them. And uh, these companies ended up faring better uh, under COVID. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so, so thank you. And, and even though it's not a good answer, it's sort of remarkable how often we see that answer time and again in companies in crisis where they've said, well, you know, but what we were doing was within the bounds of the law. Nevertheless, uh, the stock price took a hit. Regulators are, you know, knocking on your door uh, and consumers are staging boycotts. So that's, that's a, a, a terrific example. Um, I guess my next question is, why does any of this matter? I mean, what, what are the implications of viewing ESG as a process uh, gain for us? So because it allows us not to be hung up on this kind of, you know, decades old debate, what should we be doing? Should we care for shareholders? Should we care for stakeholders? Our mission is to uh, maximize profit, so we shouldn't care about uh, all these people. For many, many years, this um, kind of normative direction that a company should be run for the benefits of shareholders. And this interpretation that, they, that this means extract as much profit as possible from operations. Um, this interpretation has burdened uh, people's views of how they should behave as managers and, and as executives. Um, instead, by looking at ESG as a process, we can um, take away from, from this, we can move away from this debate and look at it essentially as a rule book for sound management in a moment of intense social upheaval, which is the moment that we are currently in. And given and follow this rule book in order to better understand how our business can respond to uh, what is happening around us. Can we solve these problems by ourselves? No, no company can solve climate change on its own, but we can all contribute to uh, this uh, dialogue and to this debate. And it's important to participate uh, to, in, in this debate in order to survive as an institution that um, caters to all its participants. Okay, and um, so, your answer reminds me of the, the social license to operate, which 
you know, I like to say is getting more expensive these days and the information forcing function of ESG allows companies to uh, basically maintain that license. Uh, and, I, and I agree with you, the implications are very great today uh, in this moment. Um, so I always like to end the ESG beat by giving our guests two parting gifts, a magic wand and a crystal ball. <laughs> and uh, so much power. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's start with the magic wand. Uh, if you could wave your wand and change something about how companies or uh, boards or investors even view ESG, what would that be? And then I'd like to ask you where we're headed. Um, so what I would like um, boards to focus more is on uh, deliverables. I think uh, ESG has a lot of potential on setting really achievable goals that all companies should strive towards. And I think that's what I would like boards to do. Uh, think about achievable goals for their company and maintain and set up a process for achieving those goals. And I think uh, that this will help them understand what is, how much they can do, because they can do more, I think, than they currently think so. Mm -hmm. And uh, also inspire their employees to do more in their daily lives. So that's what I would do with my magic wand. <laughs> um, I wish I could actually give you a magic wand. Uh, okay, so the, the crystal ball, the crystal ball, where are we headed? Uh, so I think uh, we're in a period where uh, kind of basic tenets of the kind of world order that we've all been accustomed to in the last 20, 30 years are kind of being renegotiated before our eyes. Um, and uh, that means I would really love a crystal ball. because. <laughs> 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 I could tell you a lot of things. Um, however, what I definitely uh, what what I definitely think is that I cannot imagine corporations staying out of that debate and staying out of that world. Uh, we have built a world based uh, on corporations on their ability to harness the best and the brightest. Uh, in order to provide solutions to issues that we're all facing. And I think this tool is the most powerful tool we have created and we have to put it in um, the service of everyone, including the shareholders uh, themselves. So I think that companies are going to realize that and are going to do uh, more of that uh, because it makes more money and it feels great. <laughs> well, uh, that's fantastic. And I hope you're not only that, I, do I wish I could give you a magic wand, but I hope that your crystal ball uh, uh, becomes true. Um, so with that, I just wanted to say thank you for being here and thank you for the uh, work that you do in corporate purpose and uh, ESG. Uh, always a pleasure, Amelia. Very nice to chat with you. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.